0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. tingling ling ling city desk pull the press, pull the press, extra, extra read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh loose Peggerman meets such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent a... the
1: Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on issues confronting the news media over recent days, and we welcome you to join us and participate in the conversation. I'm Rex Smith. I I want to be clear about who we are here because we're a bunch of used to bees and still do somewhat. How about that? So I was an editor, here comes Ira Fussfeld, who was a publisher of The Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, Rosemary Armeo, who has long been an investigative reporter and is now teaching journalism at UAlbany, and Dr. Alan Shartok, who's never has been, is still and always is, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, columnist, commentator, etc. Is that an accurate description all of? of
2: well, my... there is publisher of the Legislative Gazette. You can look it up, and there it is, and it uh, you know, exist. a weekly columnist in papers around New York State, and a separate column in the Berkshire Edge every Saturday. That would probably pretty well say it all.
1: Uh, I, I think we're out of time. Show.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: we'll see if we can keep going a little bit longer. Well, we of
2: get off your duffs and do more.
1: Okay, we will do more. Let's start by talking about the governor of New York and the challenge that he presents for journalism. Andrew Cuomo reported first by the Times Union to be now under federal investigation by the Eastern District of New York, U.S. attorney. But among the challenges that he has presented to journalists is this for CNN. His brother, Christopher Cuomo, of course, is the host of the Eight O'Clock Hour on CNN, a top performer for the network. And he has had his brother on until recently, until there became controversy about Governor Andrew Cuomo, and there has been no such coverage on Cuomo Live. Alan, what do you think about this situation?
2: Well, actually, I have no idea whatsoever You know, Andrew Cuomo didn't talk to me for two terms, eight years. And then one day, our wonderful news director, Ian Pickus, came knocking at the door and said, the governor wants to be on with you for half an hour today. So sure enough, we went on for half an hour, and I think for about 50 weeks after that, every week. And then we went into a dry spell, and now we're in a more than dried up spell. (laughs) I don't hear from him. I have a feeling that he has had real problems with the press over the years, and like his father, he hasn't been shy of telling them off when the moment came for him to tell them off, or when he saw the moment to tell them off. Now he's in a certain amount of chaos because he wants to run for a fourth term, which was denied to his father, and which he wants to do, and there are... People within his ranks out to get him. There's no question about it. There are Democrats who have ambition, and they want him out of there so they can move up. I don't think there's any question about that. And so, you know, the relationship with the press has become testier and testier. Frankly, I like the guy. And I'm not terribly sad that I don't have that opportunity to talk to him the way I used to, simply because that's just the way it is.
0: The question of it regarding CNN and Chris Cuomo, sure. uh, CNN has done a very good and aggressive job covering this story. And the one hour that Chris Cuomo is on, he, as Rex points out, Andrew hasn't been on. But I don't think that's the wrong way to go. I think and he, if he was on, it would be viewed as a puffball interview. And I don't think that there's a reason for him to be on that program, particularly because CNN hasn't shied away from covering him uh, strongly on the rest of the hours of the day.
3: And the reason is that Chris Cuomo had his brother on several times, many times in the height of the crisis when Andrew was in his hero phase. And they had these warm little fireside chats, Uh homie talked about mom, and it was not a real interview. That was the puffball. CNN used Andrew to get high-powered persons on their show, and Andrew used his brother to get amazingly favorable coverage. So what this shows is the slippery slope you go down when you have a conflict of interest, an obvious conflict of interest. Now the brother's in trouble. Why isn't Cuomo, the Cuomo brothers, together talking about, hey, what happened, bro? What's the deal? There should not be silence when there was the original Puffball interview. I, I fell down on my usual rule that there should be no conflict. of interest ever like that, because I like the Cuomo brother interviews. They were interesting, and they were quite a contrast to Trump. But this shows what the problem is. There's no balance. There's no fairness. It was completely dishonest.
1: Your point, Rosemary, about liking the interviews, I think, is well taken, because a lot of viewers did. So consider this. So, Alan, you're the head of uh, an enterprise. Uh, You've had to make tough decisions in your life, in your professional life. So imagine yourself to be the president of CNN in tough competition at the eight o'clock hour for viewers. And you're presented with this opportunity. Your star anchor at eight o'clock comes to you, Chris Cuomo. And bear in mind, this would be a decision made at the network president level. So you're Jeff Zucker, Christopher Cuomo comes to you and says, I want to have my brother on. We've always avoided having him on in the past so that avoid conflict of interest. But, boy, we could do a good show. What do you think?
2: I'll tell you the truth. It would depend. It would depend if there was news value there. I like what Rosemary said. I think it makes sense. But I don't think this was a Cuomo decision. I think this decision, Rex, was made, as you suggest, quite properly and extraordinarily by the CNN management. They had to decide what to do, and I think that's really important that they have their integrity to worry about. And also, they want to protect Christopher. Right now, Andrew's the one in trouble, not Christopher.
0: Rosemary, you referred to the past interviews as puffball interview. I agree with you. And the question is, why would you want to have one of those now? It wouldn't serve any purpose other than Cuomo's.
3: Well, I think the opposite of protecting their integrity, CNN risks their integrity. Do you not remember— Uh, Fox coming out and saying, hey, during the Chris Cuomo show, he did not even mention the trouble his brother's in. It looks to me and to Fox and to the many skeptical people who don't like CNN like they are covering up for a guy they promoted. And it isn't exactly true. Jake Tapper totally went after Andrew Cuomo, rougher even almost than, well, nobody's rougher than Chris Churchill, but almost. And, And it doesn't connect because everybody remembers those amazingly warm interviews. At the time, I justify the two. I, who hate conflict of interest, I don't think, just like doctors don't operate on their mothers, I don't think that journalists should be covering in their relatives.
2: I know a doctor who operates on his mother. So, you know, you can't make sweeping generalizations of that kind. But as a longtime Cuomo watcher, probably closer than any of you on the show, I can tell you that Andrew is a guy who likes to beat up on the press. He doesn't like the press. When they get on him, he gets on them. And now revenge seems to be the moment of the day.
1: Well, I don't think there's revenge if you're suggesting reporters are covering the governor aggressively because they're upset that he beats up on them. I think they're covering quite appropriately the questions about how his administration handled the issues. The issue being the false reporting about nursing home deaths. Just to be very clear, the state did not understate the number of people who died due to COVID-19. They misstated the origin of those and counted as nursing home deaths only those people who died in nursing homes, not those nursing home residents who died in hospitals. This made New York's nursing homes look to be safer than in fact they are and that now is part of the conversation that's going on in the u.s attorney's office eastern district down in brooklyn as to whether that might have violated federal law in any way to have somewhat misled apparently the u.s department of justice in its investigation so now the governor is appropriately being questioned about this and i don't think it's the press getting back at the governor for anything i think it's the press doing its job and being reporters aggressively on issues that are important to the public No,
2: I do not agree. I mean, the one thing about Andrew, who I have always referred to as tough guy Andrew, because he likes to be tough with people, is that there's a certain resentment among you people, meaning the reporters, and I'm not surprised to see you sticking up for your brethren because that's what you always do.
1: No, Dr. Or... Shartok, differentiating himself from reporters, you're usually mm-hmm. trying to associate yourself as being a journalist. But now you're saying you people are doing this, and you, as opposed yeah, to yeah, yourself. That's right. So you...
2: Because I have integrity, and let ah. me tell you right now that this idea that reporters don't have individual animus towards certain politicians who don't call them back, who don't do this—look, I was the first one to come out there and say—and I was that Andrew should have been more upfront on all of this. And I still think that I'm tough enough to say it, but on the other hand, I think there's a certain amount of animus that needs to be accounted for on the repertorial core.
3: Uh, I'm just having trouble following this because I'm not seeing the animus. They're not covering the story any more aggressively than they would any other story where a governor of a major state who is himself a potential national candidate is under federal investigation. That is in itself a big story that deserves a certain amount of coverage. Where's this aggression you're talking about? I'm talking I, I am about- talking. even mentioned Chris Churchill, who has been eager, but he certainly has been completely fair. He's pointed out the same caveats that Rex just did and what we're actually covering here. There's no animus.
2: Yeah, you're all sticking together, and I understand it because that's who you are.
1: No, it's because we're telling the truth.
2: No, it, you, you know the one thing about this show that is always interesting to me is, and I sometimes call it the three against one show because all you guys who are in the repertorial core yourselves and who have been editors and now have a dying industry on your hands, we know that. And so, when it comes to sticking up for anyone and saying nobody has ever done a bad thing or nobody has any animus, you do it. Well, I don't think I haven't ever heard said you give any examples. <laughs> this is an example. This whole thing is an example, Ira.
0: Well, not if you listen carefully what Rosemary said in terms of what oh. they're reporting, and, you know, there's no evidence that I could see in the reporting of animus. It's just strictly news reporting on an important subject.
2: I think it's get him time. Get him. He's been mean to us. Now get him. Smear this all over the place. You know, I'm hearing from an awful lot of people who love Andrew Cuomo. And they're saying to me, What are you doing, Alan? Why are you being critical? Really? Uh, yeah, I am.
1: Well- so, Alan, if you think that the reporters at the Capitol have so much animus, why don't you call up your reporter at the Capitol, New York Public Radio's reporter at the Capitol, and say, Lay off. How dare you? Display your animus to Don't the be
2: ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. I never have and I never would. That's beneath you, Rex, and I've heard some stuff out of you that makes well, my flesh crawl. but this is this is below <laughs> this is below what I would expect of you. <laughs>
3: Well, Alan, it is what Roger Ailes did when he called up his Fox reporters and said, lay off poor Richard Nixon. He's a good guy. But it's not what I do. That's exactly what you're saying. Hey. We didn't say you did it.
2: No, you just did say it. You said that's exactly what Roger Ailes did. I am not Roger Ailes. I have never told my people what to do, and I'm not calling anybody off now.
3: What? Alan, (laughs) Alan, this is not about you. This is about media ethics, and we are saying— That if you carry your argument to a logical conclusion, you end up doing something I don't think you want to do and you don't do yourself, which is deciding how you cover things from your political point of view or from what your audience wants you to do. And no one does that, TV or dying newspapers or on the Internet even.
2: So you're telling me. Rosemary, that you think there are no reporters out there—I could name names, but I'm not going to—who have had animus towards this governor for a long time and who now say, got him, jump, let's go. Do you mean to say you really believe, having been a long time fair and impartial observer of the press, which you are, that you don't know reporters Mm -hmm. who have something in their craw ready to
3: get somebody? I would would not doubt it. I would not doubt it. Cuomo is—you call him tough guy. He's a bully— In actually the Trump kind of tradition, he has enemies even in politics and in his offices. So, of course, I don't doubt that. What I'm saying is I don't see evidence of it in the reporting that I'm reading. And I read many publications The New York Times, the Times Union, NPR. I don't see that animus coming out. I see nothing but evidence-based factual reporting. And if you give me another example, I'll be happy to revise my opinion. But so far, I'm not seeing that. I'm giving you, you know, a lot of... You know, no, you, you haven't is,
1: given you know, us any examples, Alan. And here's the, no, here's the fact. People may, what? in fact, hold in their hearts, hold in their minds animus or personal biases or thoughts. But there are, as I've said many times, there are strictures built into the way reporting is done. There are processes in journalism, including editors and producers who review content Editors who would call up, you know, if I were running a newsroom and we had a reporter who was displaying animus in her or his reporting, I would deal with the reporter. I would say, you know, this seems a little harsh to me. Are you sure you're not letting your personal views into this? That is an appropriate role for an editor or for a publisher. I would say not generally a publisher, but certainly a producer. But there is built into our strictures and ethics and procedures ways to tamp down and to avoid the bias that humans naturally have. And I haven't seen evidence, therefore, in the reporting coming out of the state capitol that that bias is coming through and that those procedures are being abandoned. Are you
2: telling me for one moment that newspapers, come on, everybody, you're listening, you write a letter to Rex and tell him he's full of it. The fact of the matter is, are you telling me right now that newspapers don't have biases towards some politicians?
0: You haven't given an example as to how they I that did. I gave you the whole it, damn example,
2: did. Ira. No, you, whole, didn't give, you, whole,
0: did, you didn't give any no. examples. They're reporting the story. Well, Where is there an example that they're going about, overboard or they're biased?
2: How, how about the frequency of these stories? How about the fact that they get a hold of something like this, like a bulldog with a chipmunk in his mouth, and don't give it up? That's an example. And, you know, it's not right of you to try to make this up and put it on me because we all know it's true.
1: Let's not go maligning bulldogs here now. We're going to let our listeners (laughs) have a break. Share your thoughts with us, folks. Media at wamc.org is our email address, media at wamc.org. And you can uh, give your analysis of this. We're going to have to move on to another topic because there's a lot that goes on in the media and here is something that is one of the consistent issues that i think we need to bring up and that has to do with the topic of the media looking toward the most extreme as therefore being the most interesting story. Here's an analysis done of 46,000 news transcripts from TV news networks, from ABC, CBS, NBC, as well as the three major cable channels from 2005 to 2013, to see in coverage of the House of Representatives the comparison of the ideologies of House members who were featured on those transcripts. And do you know what this research found? Which is, it's probably not surprising to us because we know some of the problems of journalism, But here it is, is that the news is much more ideologically extreme than the actual House of Representatives. The researchers divided the representatives into five equal groups by ideology, and they found that the most extreme groups on each end of the political spectrum were most often given airtime. So there are two questions. Is there any reason to doubt the accuracy of uh, this reporting from the Neiman Lab at Harvard University? And does it surprise you? Rosemary, this is something you've probably looked at as a journalist and as an editor. Yeah. What do you think?
3: I'm going to take you way back. I'm reporting in Virginia Beach. It's a big military town. And every six months, a ship would come in from a deployment. And I got signed to cover it one weekend. And I loved it. It was like... Rampant hormones on display and all these young people throwing themselves at each other. It was an amazing, amazing story. And then I looked at our past coverage and usually it was covered by the military person who saw those things every six months and it was boring and dull and he would pick anything unusual he could just for his own sake, you know, to cover something different. So we pick the most extreme and weird thing. We do the same thing at graduations. We look for the person graduating from school who's the oldest, the sickest, the most disabled. And the truth is, the real story there is in the normalcy of it, the regulation of it. We don't do normal right. And I have long thought this about politicians. Do you remember the rent is too damn high guy who ran for governor several years ago? He got immense coverage in New York. And he was you know, a fringe candidate, it would have been worth maybe a feature story or two, but it was everywhere. We we cannot help ourselves from covering the unusual, the different, the odd, and it does not serve, it does not give balance to our coverage at all. Good for you,
0: Rosemary. This That's report. Excellent. This report suggests, though, that it, they're primarily talking about broadcast. Do you, do you see anything in the report? that hangs the same complaint to print products? It isn't in the report, no. But, but it, it happened. That it
1: is, and I've often said this to people who complain to me about this, and it's a topic that is worth exploring because I make the point that our Times Union newsroom, where I have spent the last 26 years, is right across the northway from the Albany International Airport, where there are 200 takeoffs and landings every day, and we don't write about a single one, but if one plane belly flops, we are all over that story. That's How come? Because News is what is a departure from the ordinary. And as Rosemary points out, it is hard to cover the ordinary. It isn't very interesting. And of course, you cover the crashes, you cover the tragedies, you cover homicide, not people who don't die. But I'll read you one sentence here and give me your reaction to this, Alan. Since news companies primarily seek to attract viewers and boost ad revenue, the conflict and drama stoked by extreme legislators makes them a natural fit for this business model. So you probably would buy that, right?
2: I do. I absolutely do buy it. And I know it's true. And I've watched it over the time. You know, as, as you've said so many times, if the dog bites the man, no story. The man bites the dog. You got a story. And that skews the news. Because it means that we are looking for the unusual. That's why I gave Rosemary high marks for what she said about covering the incoming ships and what was going on. And she did mention the fact that these young people were getting off. And basically, there was an awful lot of, um, well, let's just say. Um, sexy. Yes, it was sexy. sexy.
3: It was and, sexy. And, and newspapers like that, that's for sure. Well, you know, here, here's something else I learned from that experience. There are ways to cover the ordinary. One is to bring in a new, new eyes. I had never covered one of those before, so to me the ordinary was extraordinary and that worked in the coverage. I wrote a better story than had been written in the past, you know, four years I would say. But uh, but there are other things. There are community reporters and this is something we're losing at both print and broadcast who do cover the ordinary, who cover the good news stories and who cover people who have successes. And that's what we're losing. And that is the ordinary. I don't do it well. I like bad news. I like hard news, I like breaking news. So I shouldn't be doing it. But there are people who do it very, very well. And we we don't have enough of them. And we're losing more and more of them every day. And when the Chicago Tribune is taken over by a hedge fund, who do you think they're going to fire first? They're going to fire the reporters who cover the ordinary stuff.
0: No, they're yeah. going to fire the backroom people first and the production people. Yeah, you're right. And then they'll right. find their way down to the newsroom.
3: Rex and I
2: I'm fascinated by that. What do you think of a hedge fund who takes over a news organization? What have we seen in the past?
1: Well, I was the person <laughs> to answer that because it happened to his newspaper,
0: and he's no longer— Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't want to be put in the position to defend the hedge fund, but I, I will say two things. One is— the uh, arrival of the hedge fund, whether it's Alden, which is the one that I worked for and is the worst reputation among those who think hedge funds are bad people, these new owners are going to come in and they're going to try to save money and they're going to start cutting, etc. and it's going to hurt the product. The point of view that I have that I think is different than many people is why are not we blaming the people who are selling to the hedge fund? Now, I don't want to say blaming the victim, but if the people who owned the newspapers prior to selling them to the hedge fund, they know what's going to happen when the hedge fund take over. But they take their money now because if they don't take their money, it's likely these newspapers are going to close. I'm sorry. I would suggest to you that the hedge fund probably is lengthening the life of some of these newspapers, albeit doing it in a draconian way.
2: I hope that they're still not signing your pension checks. That's all I got to say number 1. Well, no, you always say that I yeah. have no
0: I have no relationship okay, at, at num- all anymore. That's
2: number 1. Now I want to ask you wait, wait, wait. I want to ask you a question, Ira. If your house is worth $700,000 and some smuck, I did not say the other word, smuck, S M U C K came along and offered you a million dollars for the house, even though they were not good people, would you take the million dollars? Of course you would. Answering my own question. Well,
0: so therein lies the rub, but don't blame the the hedge fund for the original owner escaping to take the money. They're, They're just as interested in the money as the hedge fund is.
1: Here's an interesting example of Rosemary's point about journalism needs to cover the ordinary. What's real here is the American capitalist system, the trading of stocks on Wall Street, focuses entirely on profit maximization. You know, this was the notion that developed in the United States in the late 50s, that profit maximization is the only responsibility of corporate leadership. There is now a new trend that has been emerging. A statement from the Business Roundtable just last year of 500 CEOs said we need to have community service as also a part of the calculation of the valuation of our companies. And if that became reality in the United States, as it is in many European countries, if if the valuation of companies was not purely on profit alone, then we would have some grounds. We would be able to more highly value those businesses that serve their communities, and that would insulate against this rapacious capitalism that the Alden Capitals and the others of the world are engaging in. But that's not the way American business works yet. It may evolve that way, but it's not working that way now.
3: Rosemary? Yeah, well, newspapers got into trouble the minute that Gannett figured out that they could have maximum profits. All the time, even in downturns. Never before then, before USA Today, did we see that. And this is the bottom line, that we end up with hedge funds realizing that newspapers are dying, going in and figuring out that there's lots of money in that downfall. And they are going to systematically strip, and they have already the papers they buy. And, yeah, their life will be extended. But for what end? It'll be slimmer newspapers, more inept coverage. It's not worth saving. I think you're right. I don't blame the companies for doing business. No one ever said that news is not a business. But Rex is right. It's also something more than that. And the community trust aspect is just absolutely lost. I don't know how to bring it in. If you have a business model for that, I'd sure support it.
1: Well, yes. And look at this. Here's, here's one little bit of good news. As Alden Capital is moving to take over Tribune, one of the Tribune newspapers is being split off and turned into a not-for-profit. That is the Baltimore Sun, a wonderful storied franchise that has done some terrific journalism over the years. That is becoming a locally owned not-for-profit. That doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily be an immediately strong operation, but it is certainly given a better chance, I'd say. And we know that local news matters because research, again, has shown that where local news is weaker, there is more corruption, more polarization, higher taxes, as a matter of fact. So local news needs to be strengthened. And this trend of turning some of these local properties into not-for-profits is highly admirable. And if anybody out there has a lot of extra capital sitting around. Uh, My advice is to go buy some local newspapers and sustain local journalism. What What does it say
0: to you that the number of opportunities has been very slim? Baltimore is an outlier. A number of the newspapers and the unions at these newspapers that Alden owns have been trying to find ownership in their communities and have been largely unsuccessful. So, uh, you know, I'm going around in circles to say the only ones who seem to want these properties are the hedge funds because they, as Rosemary correctly points out, they're stripping down these properties as they're declining already in decline before they got them. And uh, they're going to try to make as much money as they can while they're still somewhat viable. I have a broader question, which is. If those companies are going to continue to stay in the game even after print is gone and they're strictly digital, they still will not have enough people. In fact, they'll have even fewer people because you have to feed that beast more often than you do just to feed the daily print product.
2: And I want to know how not-for-profits are going to work. Is the same publisher going to be the publisher but now for a not-for-profit and make, you know, a million dollars a year as their salary? I mean, there are lots of ways this could work, right? Right.
1: Could be, but not-for-profits have specific responsibilities and oversight. Uh, as you know, your IRS 990 is reported in public, and, and, and everybody happy knows about, it about it. the finances of WAMC, and I think that you're going to find that that will be something new for us to see how this how
3: this works out. The model of nonprofit ownership is, St. Petersburg, Florida, which is one of the finest newspapers in the country. I just want to point that out. This is not new territory. Absolutely
0: true. It can be done. It, it, can, it can work, can but there are very few examples of people even
1: attempting it.
2: And for good reason.
1: And that is the last word, for good reason. Good conversation, folks. Thank you for your time. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith. And we are grateful to our producer, as always, David Castina, and to you for joining us this week once again on the media projects.
0: Advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.